Before we start this episode, I want to tell you about an amazing true crime podcast. Jamie Snow is serving life in prison for a crime he says he didn't commit. Now, listen as he tells the story from Stateville Prison in Crest Hill, Illinois, in the Snow Files. Season 1 focused on the trial and presented new witness evidence and taped interviews never before revealed, while Season 2 covered forensics. In September, a judge ruled Jamie should be given nearly 8,000 documents that were withheld from him and his attorneys. This is the first time he has received relief in 22 years. The final season of The Snow Files, which is now available, wraps it up with a deep dive into the alternative suspects and other wrongful convictions in McLean County that were presided over by the same state's attorney. Together with co-hosts Bruce Fisher, Tammy Alexander, Leslie Pires, and Ray Wilson, listen to Jamie tell a story about his wrongful conviction guaranteed to make you laugh, cry, and shock you to the core. He not only tells you his story, but he interacts with listeners and answers questions. New episodes of The Snow Piles are released every other week, and you can find it wherever you get your podcasts. Or download Jamie's case files and listen directly at snowfiles.net. Like in other episodes, I've censored the name of the other gang member involved in Chris Kennedy's murder. You'll hear that censor in this episode. My name is Charlie Moss, and I've been a freelance journalist and writer for more than 10 years. I've written for The Washington Post, The New York Times, The Atlantic, Slate, and other publications. I also used to work for an online camping magazine called The Dirt. It was there that I wrote about a haunted campground just outside of Stanton, Virginia. The more I dug into the story, the more I realized that this wasn't just a simple Halloween ghost tale. It was something much deeper, much more profound than I ever imagined and I've spent the last three years finding out as much as I can about what happened at Braley Pond. This is episode eight, back to Braley Pond. I truly believe, I think there were two different energetic entities. I truly believe that one of them was not from here. And so the events at Braley while at the time, due to perception, they seemed to be something that, that was almost borderline evil. Um, in reality, it was just my perception of the event. And there was something there that had, you know, an agenda that fed upon that fear. Mm-hmm. That's one reason I want to go back. I'm sitting here waiting on Kevin. I'm at Kevin Robertson's house. And uh, as soon as he comes out, we're going to go to Braley Pond. Meet Shay out there. We're going to be pushing it close. It might be a few minutes late. Um, It takes about 40 minutes to get out there from where Kevin lives. So, uh, yeah, just waiting on him to... uh, come out to the car. A little nervous, a little nervous. uh, After all this time, going out there and 
Uh, I'm not really sure what we're going to find, find anything. I'm not really sure what to expect. You know when you, when you have this picture in your head of kind of the way you imagine things to go or the way you imagine things to be? Um, you know, like I have this image of Rayleigh Pond in my head you know, that I've been, uh, you know, doing this story for two years now. Um, I'm not really sure what to expect. I'm sitting in my car, which is in Kevin Robertson's driveway. The plan was that I text him to let him know when I arrived so he could just come out to my car, since I knew we would be in a hurry to meet Shay. The purpose of our visit to Braley Pond, of course, is to investigate what happened to her there in 2003, and to find this supposed portal Logan was telling me about. But it's also meant to be an opportunity for Kevin to try to communicate with Christopher, or Scott, as he still calls him, and possibly find some closure, so he can move on from his best friend's untimely death. While I'm waiting, um, so I guess Kevin, his mom is upstairs. She looks like she's in a wheelchair, and he lives in the um, in the basement um, of a of it's like a, a single story like rancher type house. Lots of vehicles in the driveway, like old trucks and tractors and. Uh, you know, like some farming equipment, some more cars in the back. Um, Kevin also mentioned that he has a welding equipment home. He's a welder. Kevin doesn't live too far away from the Motel 6 I'm staying at just off the highway while I'm visiting Stanton. I messaged him that I was on my way, and he was supposed to meet me up front, but I don't see him. So I decided to knock on his front door. Hi, um, is Kevin here? Hello. Kevin? He's in the I'm supposed to pick him up? Because we're supposed to go to Braley Pond. Go right down here and if you step, go down in there and holler at Okay, go down this way? Okay, alright, thanks. Appreciate it. As I make my way to the side of the house, I notice some stairs that lead down to the basement where Kevin is living. The door is cracked, so I knock on it, calling for him. No answer. Hey, Kevin? I open the door slowly. I'm trying not to invade his privacy, but he doesn't seem to hear me. As I step inside, I notice the place is a mess, with boxes of old stuff. Tools and used dirty furniture scattered all over. There's a washer and dryer straight ahead of me, and a tall wall shelf filled with mason jars, some with different kinds of pickled veggies and what looks like salsas. Hey, Kevin? It's Charlie. Hey, Kevin, you almost ready? Huh? You almost ready? Do it. You almost ready? Do it. You almost ready to go to Braley? Yeah. Because Shay's, Shay's waiting on us. Oh, she is? Yeah. Oh. Yeah, she's... Yeah, like two minutes. Okay. As I wait on Kevin to emerge from his basement apartment, I'm incredibly anxious. Not just because we're running late, and I know Shay will be waiting on us, but because this trip to Braley Pond is something I've been waiting for for a long time. And I know Kevin has too. 
It'll also be the first time I meet Shay in person after numerous phone calls, emails, and texts. Sounds like Kevin's making his way outside. Kevin's on the phone with his ex. They share custody of his daughter, Kaylee. Apparently, Kaylee's having an allergic reaction to some medication. I back out of Kevin's driveway and we begin the drive to Brayley Pond. This is this is this is my life. I'll tell you what, I'm, one thing after another, one thing after another, one thing after another, and I still don't get right. What are you a welder by trade? Yeah. Like is that what you do? Yeah. That's what you do now, but you used to do, I guess, like construction? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I do uh I do um heavy equipment uh welding and uh I do um high structural. High structural like bridge or uh, like uh, like underneath bridges and stuff like high structural welding mm-hmm. and like uh, rising telephone poles. Yeah. Yeah. I guess it's uh, it's nice because it's like a you know you yeah. get a new project it's like something different. Mm-hmm. So how are you feeling about Braley? Oh oh yeah. This little, yeah. You nervous right. at all? Huh? You nervous at all? Nah. Just me and my dad used to hunt out here like all the time. All right. Yeah. Oh yeah, there are all horses up here. I tell you, older she gets, man, I seen more wild and crazy I get. As we make the roughly 30-minute drive to Braley, Kevin and I chit-chat about our kids, what to expect when we get there, and Christopher. I guess is there a main, because uh, I, I, I don't know exactly where I'm meeting Shay. I'm assuming that there's a main parking area. Yeah. Okay. Do you have any, like, uh, expectations or anything from this? Oh, no. No, I mean, not really, no. I've been up here, like, a bunch last like said before and stuff like that. Haley was the one to go today. I said, I said no. I said, you, you think I'm just going just for fun? Something I've been thinking about with Chris is, it just seems like from from my perspective, mm-hmm. you know, just trying to do all the research and trying to get in touch with people and like, yeah, it just seems. He doesn't have a lot of people left. Right. It sounds like. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, and and the, the it's just the area. I, I, you know, just you know, it, it might look big to you, right? But like this whole area and stuff like that, it's it's really, really not. It's like actually like uh this area is like very very small. Like you know, what I'm saying though, like yeah. people that live here and stuff like that. And, just everybody knows everybody, and uh, you know, like a lot of people just don't fall into the group of like, uh, you know, what I'm saying like because you know one side of the street is going to be probably gang members, and the other side of the street might be a bunch of uh, rednecks, mm-hmm. you know, and just like well, Scott, Scott was like always, you know, Scott was like always the one like. 
he was just himself, you know, at first. And he stayed to himself at first. And then, you know, when we hung out and everything else, you know, we just, we didn't follow any kind of groups. Hmm. I didn't want to be in no group, you know. I just wanted to be myself. Right. But when, you know, after high school hit, right at senior year, guess what? Well, he wanted to follow in that group, gang members. In my last construction job, I, I did this last bridge up here. Hmm. Yeah. As we arrive at Braley, we see Shay sitting in her truck. Maybe she right there. Hey! Good. Sorry. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. This podcast is focused a lot on the energy around and inside us. If anyone has good energy, it's Shay. And it's a pleasure to get to finally meet her in person. Two years in the making. Sorry about that. Oh, I got, I got healed up. I'm sorry. You gave me time to sit here and shake off the willies. <laughs> <laughs> So what's the plan? Shay lives in Buckingham, a town almost two hours away from Braley Pond. I don't know. I mean, I, I just uh, was hoping to do like a little energy reading. Uh, and then, um, I mean, I, I guess this, this is a spot, this is a spot, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Up over the hill. Yeah. yeah. Maybe go over there. Have and you, you've not been here yet then? I've never been here. Hey, well, we should take a walk first. Okay. Yeah, yeah we should do that. Let's there are a couple of other cars parked here in the gravel parking lot on this warm, breezy Sunday morning. A small building with bathrooms is to the left of us, and as we head on the gravel trail, I notice a couple of large maps as well as signs framed by wood on the right of us, welcoming visitors to the area. There are quite a few picnic tables scattered throughout on both sides of us. There are a couple of wooden bridges ahead of us that cross a small creek. We go to the second one and cross it, which leads us to some concrete steps with a metal handrail that lead up to the top of a small levee. The bridge in the story is that bridge right there. Okay. And it's always had rails on it, so you can imagine what it took to lift Chris up in the air and over the side. Um, and he ended up in the edge of the water on this side. So as we were coming across that bridge, um, Right about here, where he was, and I was maybe, I don't know, eight, nine feet back from him, and we were running. I don't know why I was thinking this bridge was a little higher. There's a couple of fishermen up here. Okay. So paying attention to anything that you might feel or experience or whatever. I'm a little nervous right now for some reason. Probably this place just does that to people. It's pretty. It is beautiful. That's 
some of the tragedies of it. We make our way down to a small concrete platform at the bottom of some wooden steps that lead right up to the edge of the pond. Shay, who says she still doesn't know the details of it, explains what she thinks happened after and Seth Tinsley murdered Christopher. I should note here just how beautiful Braley Pond is. It's a pretty massive body of water surrounded by trees. It's incredibly quiet and beautiful here. So yeah, they basically brought Chris up these steps down that side onto the platform. And then threw him in? Threw him in the water. Or he fell into the water or whatever. I don't know. He ended up in the water. I guess he... Just wondering where they did the deed. You know what I mean? Like where the. I always felt like it was down there. I don't know that for sure. That's like right on that. Like on that concrete. And Kevin, I don't know what you know. I sent Seth a photo of the concrete slab Shay's referring to and asked him if this was the spot where they murdered Christopher and numbed his body. Seth verified that yes, this was the exact spot. Before 2003, Braley Pond was a place Shay used to love to visit, along with her family. But by the time she came back with Chris Pugh in 2003, something changed. Well, my impression when I, and I, I think I told you, I used to come out here as a kid. Mm-hmm. I mean, and there was nothing wrong with this place when I was yeah. eight years old, you know, in the middle, mid-70s. It felt right. There was nothing wrong with it. Um, something happened, and I don't know what that was. I don't know exactly what the event was, but... Um, Something happened between then and when I came back out here in 2003, I guess it was. And I hadn't been here since, in, that, in all that time, I had not been here. So when we, we parked in that parking lot over there and we started walking up through here, when I hit the bridge, I was just like overcome with this dread. It was awful. And as I was walking up this way, now granted this has been, you know, 17 years ago, but I re- there's parts and pieces of it that are still very, very vivid because it was so intense. And as I was coming across the bridge, I really didn't feel like, I felt like it was this ominous type of dread, but when I got to these steps, I felt like a struggle started taking place. I felt like there was pulling and tugging and, you know, uh, just a, a physical type of dragging struggle thing. And when we got up to here, um, it was more intense. And then there was this chaos going down the stairs. And I just really, I, I, don't, I don't know for certain, but I always just felt like that when they got him to the bottom, that there was all this struggle to there, but when they got him to the bottom, that was when he was actually stabbed. They, I mean, they, he rode in the trunk of the car all the way up here, so, I mean, he was tied, you know, I mean... I don't think his legs was tied or anything, but I think his hands and his like mouth. And I guess I'll tell you what. I mean, he played football. He wrestled. So Scott, he, Scott he was a strong boy. Then. Yeah, he. I mean, he he was he was built like me and stuff. And I know Scott. If he knows something badly is probably going to happen to him, he's going to. He's going to fight you off of me. I don't, and I don't care if you got a knife or a gun or whatever. And. He'd probably give them hell coming up this hill and well, down. and down. that was the strange thing, was that at the bridge, it was this oppressive, ominous dread, but it was almost like it had been accepted, almost like this is what's going to happen. There's, um, I don't know if he was in shock 
right. or if there was the heat. But when they hit those steps, though, I think that's when the reality set in, and it just felt like that. Yeah, was, he knew that he was probably yeah, going to die. Yeah, it just felt like it was nothing but. Yeah, he um, knew that he was going to be thrown in the water all the way up and down. Cause he's been here before, before he was killed here. Yeah, we well, used to come here as kids and fish and all kind of stuff. And that was one of my questions: was do you know um, the people that did this? to him do you know if they had some sort of connection to this place no scott did i know me and scott used to come here as kids with our dad and with uh, my dad and stuff like that because i mean this is where we learned to fish i honestly right. trout fishing i mean so is there is there any idea as to why they they picked here that you know of well they they the boys that did it they are they're local gang members for, mm -hmm. I mean, Stanton, that's the city, right. and Waynesboro, that's all right. city. That down here is nothing but, as you can tell, it's country as it can be. True, yeah, and, that's uh, true. They probably, they, th they probably thought of the easiest place and where nobody probably would go or find yeah. him. And this is why they chose this spot, but they, one thing they forgot, they didn't know that it was a local fishing for, right. yeah. I checked with Seth on this, by the way. They chose Braley Pond because it was dark and secluded. No other reason. Well, there's a reason why I'm asking. Yeah. When we sit down and talk, I'll, I'll explain that to you. But, um, as, but as far as I know, that's that's my level of detail on this, both factual and what I feel. Mm -hmm. um, and I always felt like that. I don't know how they found him, but I always felt like he went in the, the water backwards. And I don't know if he was found face up or face down, but I always that for some reason that tidbit always seemed to be really important. And I don't know why, but yeah, I felt like he the went fisherman in the found him. Fisherman found him? Yeah. Remember that large green orb Shay and Chris Pugh saw hovering in the trees? Shay points out to Kevin and I where they saw it. Um, the orb. The big green glowing orb. See the tree that's leaning? Yeah. Now granted that tree has been growing for, you know, 15 years or whatever. But that's the one that that was in the top of. So was it like at the... It was a lot lower, you know, but I mean, like, um, about the spot where you can see the tree to the left of it, where you can see the trunk really clearly, mm -hmm. that's about how high it was. Okay. The top of the tree was about there at that point. We went around that way, and there's a place over there where you can physically feel it when you walk through it, or you could at that time. I don't know if the energy's changed or not, but it was like That's where they burn his clothes. Oh, really? They burn his clothes over there. Like in the woods? In the woods. Do you know where? Um, halfway point, maybe like right. That's about where this is. It's a, it's a, it's a tree um, that is forked, but it's forked at the ground level. Yeah. So you, you literally can walk through it, and maybe, it's, yeah, it's the um, area surrounding that that we literally. Because they had tape from the uh, sheriff's office. They had tape from all the way down, and the investigators coming out by the trees, and it was carrying bags of where they torched the clothes. But I guess they went out. And they found a weapon like right over here in this shallow part. And they found him about three quarters, maybe. As this is happening, this sort of detective work between Shay and Kevin, part of me thinks how easy it would be for them to get caught up in the moment, you know? But it seems a lot more than coincidence that Shay cites the specific areas where she felt this weird, heavy energy, which just happens to be the spot where so intensely burned Christopher's clothing after murdering him. That spot, like right straight dead across me. Yep. Yeah. Right there. Yeah. Right, you see the edge bank right there? Yeah. Yeah. All right. About 50 feet over, more up this way, the body is floating here. 
That's that's where that's where. So if you had to estimate how many feet out that way that was, how far? They would said you... the struggle happened somewhere here. Yep. Or over there. Right. And he he was floating. They said that he was floating over. Uh, I think they said that he floated anywhere over 28 hours. Okay. In the water. So if you had to guess how many feet in that direction it was from the from right here on the bank, how how many feet it was. Is it 200 feet, 300 feet? No, maybe not even 100. Okay. All right. Did y'all experience anything on this side? We've never experienced anything on this side. Okay. But I do have an interesting piece of information on when I doused this property. So, um, the question I have for you is, did Logan and Brand actually come out here? Do you know for sure they came out here? I don't know for sure. Okay. I, 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 you know, he said they've come out Do a few know, times. Right. Did, did, they, did, they, did they ever say where they were when they came out here? So, where they set up their work area? At the time, I should note, I didn't ask Logan specifically where the portal was. I only had a vague idea, which was terrible planning on my part. And I would have asked Logan and Bran to join us, but Shay was uncomfortable with that idea, for reasons she'll explain later in this episode. Uh, but he said there was, there was a portal... Uh, he said, um, oh, so he said they, you know, and it wasn't like a, when I think of portals, you know, I think of sci-fi. Right. But it wasn't anything like that. It was like, he said, uh, you know, you couldn't see it except he saw uh, branches that were clean, that were cleanly cut that looked like that had been dragged. So he wasn't here, obviously. To the portal. I, yeah, I guess. I'm trying to figure out uh, if you have any information that says he was at that end of the pond. I didn't, unfortunately. What do you think we should do? Should we go over there? Should we walk over there? Or we wait? certainly can. Um, like I said, it's been 17 years almost. Yeah, 16, 17 years since I've been here. I can't tell you exactly how far it is to get to the spot I'm describing, but we can walk that way and see if we can, yeah, okay. if we can find it. How are you, Shay, feeling now? Like, now that we're here? I'm good like, now. I'm good now. Yeah. I was, I was, um, it was really funny because when I turned in off the road onto the frontage road um i just i had the i had chills i couldn't control and it wasn't a nervous thing because i'm not nervous at all it was just it was a physical thing and i'm like well hello old friend how are you doing <laughs> <laughs> and when i was a kid this area right through here down over the bank was my favorite spot because um my dad and my mom and dad would bring me here fishing they, and my dad would fish, and all I did was play in the water right there and catch what, what at the time I called spring keepers, which are five-spotted newts. And, I mean, there was nothing wrong with this place. I was talking to my mom about it the other day, and she said the same thing. She said something happened out there that changed the energy of the place. And I said, yes, it did. Because there was nothing wrong with it in the 70s. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh -huh. Where did you, uh, you mentioned in your, uh, and the thing you heard a full-grown man a splashing, you felt like there oh, in the water. That was right at the bottom. The splashing was right there in front of the concrete pad. Okay, that's where you heard that. Yep. Okay. Well, whatever was splashing was big. Yeah. And I mean, I'm familiar with the beavers that are in here. I know what they sound like. All right. It wasn't that. It wasn't slapping, and whatever it was was bigger than a beaver. All right. I assume they're still here. They used to 
be quite a few of them out here. Hmm. Oh yeah, because we're, we're at the other side now. Shay points out the spot where the cyclist I mentioned in episode one was killed during a race that took place here. That's why I wear rubber shoes. Yeah. Because I'm always doing stuff like this. <laughs> I got tired of running tennis shoes. Yes. You might want to take a picture of that for future reference. Okay. Okay. Bald Ridge Trail is part of what's called the Shenandoah 100, which is a, an endurance race for off-road cyclists. Um, it's part of the, one of the largest races in the nation. And it's a, it's a leg of that. And there was a guy on November 11th, 2012. This, this path is part of it. You come through Ramsey's Draft, and you come down this path, and then you go one of the other ways around the pond. And this guy was coming down through here. I don't know exactly where, somewhere right up that trail. And I mean, this, he's a professional cyclist. You see what the trail looks like. Mm -hmm. And it does get a little rockier, but it's not bad when you walk up that way. Saw something that caused him to veer and hit a tree and killed him. Right up there. Right about that. Okay. And that's wow. where that was, is right up wow. that road. It seemed like that he swerved very sharply when they investigated the crash. His helmet was off, his glasses were off and broken, and he was down the embankment. The, the, the distance between the crash site and how far down the embankment differs. Sheriff's Department says it's 500 feet. Somebody, a representative... West. He had glasses. Eyeglasses? Yep. Um, somebody from the organization that runs these, organizes Scott, these uh, things. Scott um, wore glasses and they found his glasses shattered and broken in pieces. Really? Right over here, yeah. Wow. Well, somebody, who, somebody from the organization that he belonged to that organized these races said that it wasn't 500 feet was closer to 60 feet. Now that's a really big distance. So mm -hmm. I don't know, that's, you know, that's way far apart. You would think the Sheriff's Department would be able to mm -hmm. guess at a, a distance accurately because they need that information for reporting. Right. So I'm inclined to maybe lean towards what they said. So the question that begs the question of if you're, and I know he was, there was a, an embankment. I don't know how high it was because I don't know the exact spot. I've been up this trail a fairly long distance. And there's nothing that bad about it. There really isn't. It, there is, you don't get into any areas where there are huge boulders, you know, stuff that's going to cause you to wreck. And um, 
at least that I never ever saw. And um, he saw something or something happened that caused him to swerve sharply enough that he ran head on into a tree that was right beside the trail. We don't know, or they don't know, how his helmet, they assume the helmet came off in the crash. That doesn't make any sense because if you're an endurance rider, you make sure the helmet stays on during the crash. Mm -hmm. So how did the helmet get off? The glasses could have gotten broken on impact shore. But 500 feet away from the crash in this type of terror terrain, it, I don't what know. What time of night was it? Makes you, this was during the day. Day? This was, uh, I think they found him about 2 o'clock in the afternoon, if I recall correctly. So, hmm. And then there's another guy that in September 2015, um, there's a, there's a, you get back out on Hanky Mountain and you keep going up the road a little ways, it's about, I don't know, 10 miles up the road if you drive. As the crow flies, it's not far at all. It's like straight through there. Um, the North Carolina Breastworks something or other, the it's like one of those informational sites for, his, for historical stuff, is right up there. And this guy was local, hiked these mountains all of his life. He parked his car at the, the Breastworks Monument Information Center thing with a friend, um, a woman, and they took off through the woods and um, I've never been able to figure out how they got separated. She was with him mm -hmm. uh, but somehow or another they got separated and he was reported as missing. This guy was in tip-top shape, expert hiker, knew these mountains well and um, he disappeared and days later they did find his pack but no sign of him and um, there was some inclement weather. It was just rain, you know, and they're like, well, you know, maybe he got lost in the rain. And she's like, you don't understand. This guy is a professional woodsman. He, he's not going to get lost. He's not going to leave the trail in the rain, you know, mm -hmm. just because it's raining. And um, they never found him. There was a, they kept the investigation open for until 2017, 2018. And they put out a $50,000 reward for any information. Not a peep. Never found him. Hmm. No trace of him whatsoever except for his backpack. So, and those are only two examples. There's a lot of this stuff that goes on in these woods up here. You know, and then when you take that and you look at it through the lens of missing 411 nationwide at all the, the big parks and the, the large wooded areas and the remote places, you begin to go, hmm. Yeah. <laughs> hmm. <laughs> like, how do you mean as far as comparing it, comparing this? The, the like, take the missing hiker, for example. The circumstances are basically identical to lots and lots and lots of other, I mean, we're talking thousands and thousands and thousands of people that literally you're walking and you're talking to them and you look back and they're gone. And I mean, it's not like, it's not like they trek off through brush like that and you don't, they're on trails, they've got people with them, et cetera, et cetera. And they're just disappearing. And You're talking about nationally. Nationally, yeah. yeah. And this, that's what I'm saying is the same thing goes on in these type of forested areas here. Wow. Now, right up that road is also where Chris Pugh cast the Bigfoot tracks. Che talks about the possibility of there being a Bigfoot out here, wandering in the woods. Again, it's not that I don't believe her, but I've just never seen one. So while it's fun to imagine that they might exist, it's just not something I take a lot of stock in. Yeah. Interesting. You heard about that? No. Yeah. No, I like have. I said, take in whatever yeah. sounds, yeah, but yeah, you yeah, let absolutely. the rest of it go. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but um, Chris used to live um, if we're whatever it's called now, Carpenter Store used to be, or mm -hmm. whatever yeah. it is now. Okay, if right there, the road that you turn, you can turn left mm -hmm. right off of that. 
Went back there, there's a little house that actually sits right up against the road. It's an older home, looks like a little modified ranch house looking thing. That's yeah. where he lived. Hello. And um, so he was out here a lot. Yeah. And um, they used to hike back up this road. And there was a lot of weird stuff that was going on. This would have been like right around 2000-ish, 2001, 2002, somewhere right around there. It was before um, the murder here. I know that. Yeah. And they were hiking up there and saw tracks and came back. I don't know if they went back the same day or if it was a day later or whatever, but they came back and got casting medium and went back up there. Um, there were more tracks, if I recall correctly, in addition to the ones they found. So they cast the freshest tracks. And they're, I mean, I've, I've held it in my hands. You know, they're, it's this big. And there's more than one of them. Yeah. And um, so you got to wonder. I mean, this is George Washington National Forest, and it goes on for yeah. miles and miles, miles and miles. And miles. And miles. If you get in there and get lost, you will not get out. I mean, it just, it just goes forever. Yeah. And so the thought is that this is one of the spots in Virginia that it's prime real estate for something big that wants to stay hidden. So the other thing I wanted, the reason I want, said it was good that we walked over here is because right there, right there in front of that little tree is where I'm getting that Logan and Bryn set and did whatever it was they were going to do. And I mean, I was really surprised to find something pop up about them because I really had put them out of my mind and just felt like that they were not important to any of this. What I got was that, I'll show you on the map thing, but what I got was that, that they actually affected, um, there's a vortex right there. There's two lines of energy that cross right there. He's mentioned vortex. Okay. Before. And they actually affected that, not in a good way. Um, so that I'll show you on the map that I drew, but it's right there. So explain to me vortex, because <sighs> he, he told me it's, he said a good way to figure it, because he said a good way to figure out what a vortex is is if you take a picture. And then when you when you take a picture, you can kind of see like some, some or no, sorry, not a picture, a video. Mm -hmm. And you can kind of see some... Like shimmer? Something yeah, like that? Well, he said like, um, like translucent, like wavy, like you can see movement. Yeah. Um, um, and sometimes and, you can, depending on the strength of them. A vortex isn't anything but spiraling energy. And so if you think of, um, and it's, it's, it's extremely simple. I don't have a whole lot of problem with Logan, except for the, his tendency to make everything dramatic. That's my biggest problem with him. Um, yeah. And it's not dramatic. It's a part of our natural existence. It's here. Mm -hmm. um, it's everywhere. And so if you think of where, think of where two rivers converge. You've got the confluence of, say, the Rockfish River and the James River, where they come together. When those two bodies of water intersect, what happens at that location? This one's traveling this way, this one's traveling this way. They begin to do this, to, to some extent. Some places it becomes very, very evident. You actually get like a whirlpool effect. Other places it's not as evident unless you get in the water and you can feel the, the spiraling pull. Mm -hmm. It's the same thing with energy. When you got two pieces that intersect, where that intersection comes together, they just mix. They spiral and then they shoot out again on their respective sides of that line. And that's all they are. Um, some, some of these vortexes are stronger than others. Some of them are very, very weak. Some of them, unless you actually doused for the lines, you'd never know they were there. Other ones, when you walk through them, it makes your hair stand on end. Um, and there's a couple here that will make your hair stand on end. There, hmm. there really are. 
Um, but that's where they were sitting, if my information is correct, is, is right in that area where that, that bare spot is right in front of that little tree. Kevin asked Shay about whether she feels Christopher's spirit still lingers at Brayley Pond. Um, do you think, I mean, just out of curiosity, uh, do you think that, you know, that he is still here? That he is uh, maybe lost or confused or... Maybe he, he has actually found peace and... I think he has. I don't feel him anymore. I don't feel him here. Um, but it's... Sometimes when they go away, there's an emptiness that doesn't feel right. I can tell Kevin feels a lot of guilt for what happened to his best friend. Like he was somehow responsible for Chris getting murdered. Do you go visit his grave often? Not as much as I should, but... Well, uh, there's not really any should, but, right. I mean, you know. And I don't... No, I should, I should, because actually I... I'm supposed to be that friend that, you know, he could always come to, talk to, just, you know. You want to talk with him, you can do that. Right. I mean, and he will hear you. He will absolutely hear you. As I'm saying he's not here anymore doesn't mean he's not able to be here. It right. means he's not stuck here. He's not right. stuck anymore, which is a very good thing. We start making our way back to the entrance of Bailey Pond, where the picnic tables are. The trail we're walking on is a big loop around the pond. I'm trying to picture where Christopher's body was found by the fisherman the morning after his murder. Oh, this is where they found his body? No, this is where they pulled him out. Or pulled him out? Yeah, I mean, this is where he was. He's right around that area. Yeah, I know it was this one or it was that one right there. These two little spots right here. Right here, okay? Yeah, yeah. I think it was this one, yeah. Yeah, it was this one, yeah. That one never being so rocky. Yeah, it was this one. Yeah, this one right here. We arrive back at the picnic tables, and Shay shows me a few things she's brought, like dowsing rods and an energy map she's made. Um, I've got, I've got my map with me to show you if you want to see that. Sure. I've got dowsing rods, I've got toys that I use with people that, you know, are learning. Um, we can do a couple of exercises with energy. I can do whatever you want. Um, While Shay is setting up, Kevin asked her a question. I have a question. Uh -huh. um, the recording of that night. The... At the end. Yeah. What is that? I don't know what it is. Wait, which recording? The recording, it's one that on... of that night. The, it's the recording of when Chris and I were running across the oh, bridge. Oh, yes. Okay, and yeah, yeah. And at the end... There was Kevin's referring to the audio clip of the screech Shay and Chris heard at Braley Pond in episode one. The screeching thing. I don't know what that was. I don't have any clue. It was not either one of us. All right. Um, I don't... To me, it no, sounds... What, I, what I'm saying is Scott... You know, I no, never... No, Scott used to make noises all the time. No, like, just... Really? Like, he one minute he sounded like a like a uh, a woodchuck or uh, or a bird or he whistle or sometimes he'd be like yeah and just he'd make the weirdest noises. I never in 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 all these years. And so when I heard that, this, I, 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 meant, I meant to, to say me. something a long time ago. So when I heard that, 
album was like, wow. I was like, you know. It never, ever, ever occurred so, to me that that could have been him. And for what purpose? Was it a, could it have been a don't go or? Scary? Maybe. I don't he liked know. to frighten people. He did. He loved it. Um, he did a good job. That was <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wow. I'm saying that Scott used to make the weirdest noises. Just you know, what I'm saying just. That's. He sounded like a baby seal. Dreams. I mean, really? Like they're old. Oh, oh, yeah. Oh, I mean, just yeah. He get bored, stir something. You know, just I don't know. Very yeah. difficult to read him. Very. Since I met Shay a few years ago, I've always been curious about how she reads other people's energy. What's that process like? And what's the point of it? So I asked her to show me how it works. I gotta, I gotta ask, is there, is there any way you could do an energy reading on me? Yeah, or like sure. A, I, I've never done anything like that before, and I'm really curious about um, it. What is it. What would be your goal with that? Would it be for me to show you how to turn on your own energy so you can feel it? Or would it be for me to look for something in particular for you? Or to balance something? Or Good God, I don't even know where I'd start with that. Um... I don't know. I mean, I mean, I can. Are you looking for evidence of it? Is that more what you're looking yeah. for than anything? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I won't touch you. Okay. But put your. Um, can you? Is it possible for you to set that down? She's asking me to set my microphone down. Just. We'll take ten seconds, and you just try to relax. I want you to pay attention to anything that you would not normally feel, whether that be density, like the air has gotten heavier or tingling, or pressure, or even like a rising energy somewhere in one of your, like your arm or your leg or your spine. So just breathe deep and easy. You feeling okay? Mm -hmm. Okay. You tell me when you feel something. Um. This is hard. I'm not. I like to overanalyze things. Um, and I'm not the best at relaxing. There's. I feel. There's. You don't know how to describe it. Um. Um, Where is it? Up here. Uh-huh. Like, um... Is it like a density kind of, or a tingling? Well, kind of like a... Well, kind of like, um... Like, a, like an opening up a little bit? Uh-huh. Does that make sense? Uh-huh. Um... So... You can't feel me touching you at all, though, right? Mm -hmm. changing at all? I feel like it's getting wider. Is it in the center of your head or towards your forehead? Toward my forehead. Okay. Now Kevin can see what I'm doing. And I'm pushing, I'm pushing energy from your spine up over the top of your head, down towards your forehead. But of course, I'm not physically touching you mm -hmm. at all. So that is a very, very quick example of 
how with no preparation at all, none of the um, got to sit and meditate for mm -hmm. 10 days, you know, that kind of thing. I don't know. You know, when I pulled in, I was like, I wonder, I wonder if we ought to ask those. I thought the same thing. It's so funny. When I pulled in and I looked over at that tent and I was like, and they've got a little little kid with them. And I was like, I wonder. I even notice it over there. So that's a real quick one. And if you put your hand up, are you right-handed or left-handed? Left-handed. You're left-handed? Mm -hmm. And just turn it like this. And it's the same kind of thing. Just pay attention to what you feel and tell me when you feel heat, density, I can feel a little bit of heat on the, the top no. part of my hand. Obviously, I'm not close enough to make your hand hot physically. Now... You know what it's like when you put two magnets together mm -hmm. and they're not supposed to, the polarizations aren't right, so they press, they keep, they push against each other? Mm -hmm. To me, that's kind of what this process feels like. It's like there's a, there's a wanting for my hands to come together, but it's also a pushing away. And so it's real dense, tingly, powerful type of feeling. Remember when Shay's mom, Jennifer, mentioned practicing Tai Chi and Qigong back in episode three? As Shay's ringing my energy, it reminds me of this little acupuncture facility I used to go to back home in Chattanooga. I originally went because a friend recommended I go to help manage my stress because I used to suffer from agonizing abdominal pains. It helped so much that I began taking Tai Chi there too. I remember my instructor referring to Dantian, which is the energy center of your body, and how important it was to successfully learning Tai Chi. There are three essential elements in Tai Chi and other Taoist practices, body, energy, and spirit. The physical body is seen as the vessel through which your energy and spirit flow. Tai Chi is used to increase your life force energy, or Qi. And spirit refers to your mind, using meditation to control the movement of energy in your body, so that you can obtain emotional balance and inner peace. It's even been said that Tai Chi can help open up the potential for self-healing and psychic capabilities. I don't know that I mentioned this to you, but your mom talked a lot about Tai Chi. Yeah. And acupuncture. Because I did that for... I, I did a little bit of Tai Chi, but I, I went to acupuncture for a few years on and did off. You? Because, um, yeah, because I didn't know how to relax. I had a lot of, carried a lot of oh, energy up here, here yeah. and my shoulders. And um, so some of the things that I learned in Tai Chi, because she, when she started telling me all that, I was like, holy shit, that's, why didn't I think of that? Like, it's, it's, it's the Dantian, it's the, no, your, it's your, your, um, uh, your Chi. Yeah. Uh, I was like, that's the same concept. Yeah. Um, but w so, like, what is that? But what does that say about me? Or all what that, is it? All that is tell. All that's showing you is that it's there. Um, all I all I was doing was affecting your own energy body. So all I was doing was like plucking the string of your energy body just to show you that it's there. Mm -hmm. um, once you learn that it's there, then the world opens up to all the things you can actually do with it. Okay, so that was pretty cool. It reminds me of something that happened to me when I was a kid. I must have been in middle school, or as we used to call it back then, junior high. I was at my friends, the twins I mentioned in episode two, Michael and Jason Schumann. I remember we were wrestling around, as boys sometimes do. Michael comes running at me, and out of pure instinct, or maybe it was fear, I collapsed onto the ground, rolled onto my back, grabbed his arms, and using my feet, threw him over me, effortlessly. Michael was airborne for at least a few feet and safely landed on the couch. After we all got over our surprise, he asked me, how did you do that? I couldn't tell him, but I can tell you I felt like I was Batman or something. It was exhilarating. Have I ever been able to do it again? Nope. 
But when I took Tai Chi, I learned about how to use other people's energy against them in scenarios just like the one I told you. So is that what Shay's energy reading is all about? Not for self-defense necessarily, but how to harness that energy, that chi, in our bodies and the world around us? I mean, people have a tendency to compartmentalize all these different things that, that I do. They, they mm. think the dowsing is in one box, and they think the remote viewing is in another box, and they think that my healing work is in another box, and it's not. It all stems from this energy body that I carry around, that I walk around in, and all I do is just slightly tweak it to utilize it for different things. But it's all the same source. The the it's all all of all of these things come from that same source. And it's because it's connected, just like yours is, to everybody else and everything else. And so there is this collective consciousness whether you believe it or not there's this collective consciousness out there before we get to shay's map reading of Braley pond there's one more thing she wants to show us i'll show you how to do one more thing real quick okay so you have a actual personal experience with this. okay here both of you take a set of these i carry these things around everywhere. shay pulls out from her bag a couple of thin copper l-shaped dowsing rods about 11 inches long they're both curved at the end to create short handles to allow them to move freely in your hands. Shay hands them to Kevin and me. Have you ever held a set of dowsing rods before? No. No. Okay. <laughs> That's not going to work. <laughs> it might. It might. Okay. The objective is to hold them very, very loosely. And obviously, like you said, your thumbs aren't up here. But you hold them really, really loosely. And you hold them pointing just ever so slightly downward. Can, can, can I hold it like that? or do I, Okay. Remember Joey Korn from episode three? He's the owner of Dowsers.com and taught Shay and her mother Jennifer all about the art of dowsing for energy. I did some more research on this technique and found some pretty interesting information. Dowsing is thought to have originated from Germany in the 16th century, though it's also been cited in Chinese folklore dating back to the 5th century. In 1662, it was declared to be superstitious and satanic by Gaspar Schott, who thought the devil controlled the movements of the rod. In the 17th century, dowsing was used in the south of France to track criminals. Okay, the objective is to hold them very, very loosely. And obviously, like you said, your thumbs aren't up here. But you hold them really, really loosely. And you hold them pointing just ever so slightly downward. Can, can, can I hold it like that or do I? Okay. You get it however you want. Okay. Okay. All living things have energy. Well, in fact, all, everything has energy. Trees are one of the easiest things, though, that you can douse. And they have a spiraling energy pattern mm -hmm. that comes out from the center. And it goes out and overlaps with everything else around it. So if we pick that tree right there, a big pine tree right there, and we say, please show me the lines of energy emanating from that pine tree. And then you real slowly walk forward. Watch what happens. I'm not even going to go. I'm going to let you guys go. <clears throat> All right, yeah. Your rods are going to open outwards when you cross a line. And it might take you one or two times Remember, dowsing rods supposedly work based off the energy emitted from the subject you're trying to find. The mystique behind dowsing rods is that once you're close enough to the oil, water, or in this case, a specific tree you're trying to find, the rods will move on their own, supposedly with no assistance from whoever is holding it. Of course, as I'm holding the one Shay has given me, I'm completely skeptical. That's because of the ideometer response, which is a psychological phenomenon where you make unconscious motions with your body. So in this case, I'm expecting my hands to make the tiniest of movements, quite possibly without me knowing it. 
to give the appearance of the dowsing rod pointing to the right direction on its own. I will say I did some Googling and found a few YouTube videos and articles where it appeared that dowsing has been somewhat successful in finding gold, though it could be chalked up to complete coincidence. Kevin and I start walking, our arms straight out in front of us, holding the small rods loosely in our hands, with our elbows tucked into our ribs. And then something happens. And so what your rods are doing are, is they're going, oh, we're going to align parallel with that energy pattern. And so if you step back, they're going to close. And then when you step forward, when you get over top of it, they're going to open, open up. up. And everything has an energy pattern. Trees are spiral. Um, people, sentient beings, people that, people, dogs, horses, mm -hmm. they all have a much more complicated pattern. Um, and the wind is not going to help, and it's not going to be your friend, but... <laughs> it's doing but it now, you got it. They're both... And you can do that straight. with everything. Yes. Oh! <laughs> so it's there. That's the point is, that is a very simple way to, to say this energy is evident everywhere. What, what... So my skeptical mind, so I can roll it up. There uh, my skeptical mind. Go ahead, you start rolling. When okay. when I first started walking, I was like, these things are really loose. Of course they're gonna they're go. Supposed to be. I was like, of course they're yeah. gonna go in all sorts of different yeah. directions. Like that's exactly what I thought. Yeah. I was like, this is this is kind of bullshit. Like this, this is not gonna. <laughs> but then they went it. straight. In opposite in the opposite direction and, they held and there. stayed. They held there. That's yeah. exactly right. And if you do it, and it doesn't take much, but if you do it a few, just a few times, you will get to the point that you can physically feel it when you step into that energy. Even just on regular trees, when you you can feel it right across here. I do anyway. You don't even need the dowsing rods. Mm -hmm. If you took a set of rods and I didn't have any, and we walked side by side. And I was blindfolded, mm -hmm. so I couldn't see your rods. I could tell you everywhere one of those bands was, and your rods would open up at the same spot. Because it, you can feel it. We're all tied together with all this stuff. And it just, well, you know me, I just get so excited about it. I just, the, it's, the, 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 the. it's like the force. That's what I keep, yeah, that's what like, I keep going back to. You keep telling me I'm a Jedi. It's, <laughs> it's like, I mean, you know. God, I'm such a dork. But it is. It is a force. It is. And to me, this is this is one of the things that just is so comforting to a lot of people. You know, when we start talking about people that have died and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. To me, this is the proof. Your physical body might go down, but what makes you you? Mm -hmm. No way. No way. It's free. It can do anything it wants. You can access that anytime you want it. You can talk to Scott anytime you want to. Yeah. It might take you a little practice to be able to hear him talking back, but he right. can hear you because we're all connected. It's, it's all there. Shay then spreads out a large map almost the size of the picnic table we're sitting at. It's hand-drawn by Shay on tan butcher paper and quite detailed with what looks like color-coded measurements, coordinates, and landmarks here at the park, along with the location of where Christopher was murdered. So, in a nutshell, what you're seeing is what it looks like when someone asks me to douse a piece of property. What Shay's demonstrating is how she used her dowsing rods to measure the type of energy that's here at Braley Pond. 
The map she created illustrates what she found here in past housing investigations after her incident here in 2003. While it would be easy to say that she's mapped out good or beneficial energy and bad or detrimental energy, she explains that it's not quite that black and white. The problem with those terms is, we've talked about this, is that good and bad are in the eye of the beholder. Yeah. Something that I think is bad, somebody else would think was acceptable. Okay. So it's really hard to, um, to use those terms with a large group of people because their viewpoints on what is good, bad, acceptable, not acceptable differ. Mm -hmm. And you're going to offend somebody without meaning to. Um, and you're going to cause arguments because somebody's going to go, yeah, that's fine. And somebody else is going to go, like hell it is. So we use detrimental and beneficial because what that says is to my energy signature, to your energy, to the human energy pattern, which of these lines of energy are beneficial to our energy patterns? They uplift us. They're at least at the very least, they don't cause us any angst. And which of these lines of energy are actually going to cause us to go, ooh? So mm -hmm. it's how it, it, the reason they're beneficial or detrimental is simply in relation to how they affect us as people. After explaining the basics of how dowsing works and showing us how to read the map, she points out what her findings mean in relation to everything that's happened here, from Christopher's murder in 2003 to when she got attacked six months later that same year. So what's really interesting about this property, and this is going to get real weird, um, I've never seen anything like this before. I have never doused a piece of property that is like this one. Remember I said that at some point in the past, between the late 70s and 2003, something happened here. See that blue dot right there? Mm -hmm. Okay. I don't know exactly what that is. There is something in that, that dot and the other dot that is almost held in stasis on this property. At these two intersections of space, mm -hmm. there's something that sits right on this very powerful, positive, beneficial line of energy. Well, see, this is where they burn the clothes. All right. Right there? Right around here. This is where they think that he was turning from this right here, this side, and he drifted he over here. And they took his clothes over here, burned them, and left. I had no idea about the burning clothes. I really didn't. So the. Make sure he was I'm, next. I'm trying to con I'm trying to condense this so that um, I can tell you everything I want to tell you, and we have time to do other things. But it's really hard to do. Uh, this piece of property is neutral right now. It's, and it's not a normal. It's not a natural neutrality. Um, a natural neutrality is balanced neutrality. It's where everything exists in balance to everything else and it's full of life. It's full of good energy and life and it's, it pretty much is like, um, it's like the universal donor for blood. It's good for everybody. That's what neutrality is in a balanced world. This is not that kind of neutrality. This is dead zone neutrality. I don't know how else to explain it. That's what it feels like. Shay goes into a lot of detail here about how she calculated where this dead zone or unnatural neutral energy lingers on the map. It's around the area where Christopher's body was dumped and then drifted and then where his clothes were burned. So I'm like, okay, and I'm, I'm getting back to the, the bishop's counting thing. Um, so I'm like, okay, why is this, why is this a dead zone? And I start finding these borders. And then I start understanding that the way these lines are coming together where you have vortexes, any of these vortexes that you see that are red and green, they've been neutralized. 
So whereas like this and that would normally be a swirling mass of energy, it's not because you've got a positive and a negative coming together, which they cancel each other out. So there's this huge amount of neutrality here. And then when you count the lines and look at the geometric configuration of the lines as they relate to each other, the strength of the lines cancel each other out. It, it's really odd. This line right here, if you look, there's a number two in the box, at the bottom of the box. All right. See it? Mm -hmm. Okay. It's sister line, it's mirror image, Look at the number at the box, the bottom of the box. It's a two. These two lines of energy are, are equal in strength. This line of energy, which runs right through the spot where Chris was murdered, Scott was murdered, is the strongest detrimental line of energy on the property. Its sister is directly opposite it, and it's the strongest beneficial line of energy that More runs right body was where his found. body was found. And I had no idea about the body being found. So what does that mean? So from Wednesday, June 11th, 1986, through Sunday, June 15th, 1986, something happened here that changed the energy of this property. <clears throat> now, I think what happened after that was that whatever took place here was not good. Um, and I think that yeah, there was... No, I think, I don't think it's, I don't think it's human. The other thing that occurred in that time period was that something else happened that caused it to be neutralized. And that's the weirdest part of all. This pattern of neutrality that locks this area down happened immediately upon the heels of whatever occurred that caused it, that whatever bad thing it was that happened, something else came right behind it and locked it down, caused this pattern of neutrality. Now, uh, this is where it got real interesting. So what does this all mean? Shay's conclusion is that in early June of 1986, something non-terrestrial, as she calls it, some sort of dark source of energy, encapsulated Braley Pond, something potentially dangerous. Then something else came behind it, possibly non-terrestrial beings, and neutralized that dark energy, locking it in like some sort of Pandora's box. Shay's illustrated all of this on her energy map. She believes that what happened to her here at Braley Pond in 2003, and even possibly the murder of Christopher Kennedy, could have been evidence of this dark, non-terrestrial source trying to restore its energy pattern. I'm sorry for the cliché, but I liken it to the whole opening Pandora's box metaphor. If this is true, she believes that whatever this other energy is, this dead zone neutrality around Braley Pond, was manufactured by highly intelligent beings to keep that dark energy source at bay. What are these energy sources, this whole dark and light energy that seem to be battling each other for dominance here at Braley Pond? And who are these non-terrestrial beings that place them here? And why Braley Pond? Could it be true that there is some sort of portal here, like Logan talked about? I should note here that weeks after this trip to Braley, I reached out to Logan over Facebook about the exact location of the portal in his diebook box. He gets a bit technical in his explanation, but sends me a map. According to it, Logan says the portal is about five miles northeast of Braley, close to the North River Basin. So apparently, Shay, Kevin, and I weren't anywhere near it. But Logan did send me some audio of his experience at the portal, which I'll play for you now. I can't believe I've been holding this phone for almost 20 minutes now.
Here's how he describes it. Quote, the following sounds are various EVP captures, knocks, and typical ghostly murmur. That loud sound is the rushing creek some 50 yards away and is the power that creates a white noise that keeps the portal charged. You can hear Civil War cannons, rifles, and soldiers from the August 28, 1864 Battle of Piedmont during the Civil War. There are some EVP voices and regiment movements and a lot of mixed murmurs going on, and the portal itself seems to be alive with a vortex energy spinning and wiping around. I don't hear any of that, but maybe you do. Logan mentioned something else in his message to me. This possibility of a second portal a couple of miles northwest of Bailey Pond. So what does this mean? I mean, Logan's saying that there's two portals at Bailey Pond. I'm confused. But there's another piece to this puzzle. As Shay continues to point out these odd energy patterns she's gridded out and labeled on her map, she explains that anyone who comes into Braley Pond with high levels of detrimental or negative energy endangers the delicate balance of the protective barrier surrounding the dark energy source. In other words, the more visitors who come to Braley Pond, especially if they bring with them bad vibes, could cause just the right amount of imbalance to weaken the protective barrier of energy, potentially unleashing something very dangerous. Pandora's box. We affect the lines. Our own thoughts, feelings, whatever. If you're having a really good day, you will affect these lines in a positive way. Mm. You know, you, you may not change them from detrimental to beneficial, but you'll, you'll give them a boost. If you're nasty and having a really bad day or you're sad or you're upset, you affect the lines in that way. You may cause a beneficial line to turn detrimental. It might be temporary, but, mm. yeah, you know, we affect the lines. Okay, so this sounds pretty simple. Whatever emotional baggage we bring with us, whatever intentions we have for coming to Bradley Pond, whether it's a bunch of paranormal investigators or a couple of kids who were coming here to commit a murder, affects the balance of energy here. But here's where it gets just a bit more complicated. However, <clears throat> there are a number of these lines that directly influenced, how did I have it, directly influenced crimes that took place on the property. The crimes did not influence the lines, which is what should have happened. The lines influenced the crimes. In other words, they had some bearing on the crime taking place, or they had some, some bearing on the severity of it. Maybe, just as an example, using Scott as an example, if that, that red line right there is one of them mm -hmm. that is, is coming up as it has the power to affect, rather than be affected, it affects Let's say that it didn't. Let's say that that characteristic wasn't in place for it. And let's say that when that scenario took place with them dragging Scott up the steps, if that line wasn't the way it was, his murder may not have actually happened. Who knows? You know, it may have been that they got cold feet or something. But it's scary to think that these lines actually have the ability to influence. That's, I've never seen that in mm. in my life. I've never seen lines of energy that actually have the ability to influence. Now, you'd ha you have to be in a state where you're willing to, or it, it's capable of, mm -hmm. you know, you have to be in that mindset. It's not going to bother us, but if you came up here with that, the type of mindset that I'm talking about, it, it could, and mm -hmm. that's weird. Mm -hmm. It's really, really strange. Chase sent me a detailed report of her findings she wrote after her initial visit in 2003 and subsequent ones she made over the next few years. In it, she expresses regret about the first visit she made with Chris Pugh and the group of troubled young adults during that October day in 2003. Here's what she wrote. During my trip to Braley in the fall of 2003, I was accompanied by a fellow group elder and approximately 12 participants, 
The majority of the participants were young adults with varying degrees of moderate to serious problems in their lives, ranging from homelessness to criminal activities to drug abuse. Of the adults present, two in particular come to mind, a husband and wife. The husband was egocentric, demanding, ill-tempered, emotionally abusive to others, and carried a rather dark energy signature. The wife, while often a victim of his behavior, was not without her own issues, and often came across as manipulative, untrustworthy, and dramatic for the purposes of gaining attention. Overall, the collective energy of this group was unstable, unhealthy, and detrimental in nature. The purpose of the trip was to encourage the participants to open themselves up, to see if they could sense anything that was present at Braley. In hindsight, this was an irresponsible and unintelligent intention, and had I been aware of what was actually present at the pond, I would like to think that I would have declined to participate as one of the group leaders and discouraged the trip from taking place altogether. Since exposing a group with baseline detrimental energy to an energy configuration such as what is present at Braley and asking them to open up to it is virtually begging for an unpleasant outcome. She compares the emotional energy group she and Chris brought to that of Seth Tinsley and when they came to Braley Pond to murder Christopher Kennedy. She writes, When compared to the overall energy configuration of the group who participated in and committed the murder of Christopher Kennedy in May of that year, the energy of our group would not have appeared at all that different. The murder itself aside, both groups were rooted in fear, criminal activities, instability, and egocentric behaviors. She concludes her report with a warning. She writes, The fact that the configuration of the line appears to be purposeful and intentional brings to mind a very real concern as to what might transpire if the pattern were to be altered by well-meaning or even ill-intentioned visitors to the area. She's talking here about the lines on the map she created that define where the protective energy surrounds the darker, more sinister energy, and how it was intentionally placed there by the non-terrestrials mentioned earlier in this episode to protect what I can only assume is humans from the darker, more sinister energy lurking at Braley. She goes on to say, the story surrounding Braley Pond reached far and wide, and people and groups visit the area with intentions of investigating the property and attempting to improve, enhance, or balance the energies present because they assume that the unusual and often unpleasant ambiance of the place needs to be fixed. I opine that the opposite is true. I believe that the pattern needs to be left exactly as it is. Not only should it not be altered in any way, but I would suggest that those of us who are energy workers and are able to recognize the significance of the energy configuration currently present should actually keep tabs on the pattern to make sure that it's not weakening and do what we can to enforce and maintain the pattern on a regular basis. So this all probably sounds pretty crazy to you, right? I mean, it does to me. And Shay acknowledges that. I mean, I, I know. If I were you, I would be going, okay. <laughs> she finally flipped her lid. <laughs> and I wouldn't blame you. I really wouldn't blame you. But it's, the, it's I mean, it's what I found. Yeah. It, it this is just what I found and I don't Chris you know, is, Scott's um, not here Scott right. is not here I think Scott went on to wherever it is that Scott wanted to go I think he finally was able to do that um, but there there is something here and do you think something's still here I think something is still here and I think it's locked down I think it's like in stasis so you don't think it's Scott hmm? no mm. no it's not Scott no. No, no no this isn't whatever this is is not Scott it doesn't I think Scott may have partially been a victim of its presence just because of, of its influence, its negative influence. As we wrap up our trip to Braley Pond, I ask Kevin how he feels about our visit. If he feels like he's been able to find some closure or some sense of solace regarding the death of his best friend. Do you feel like you got what you wanted from this trip? Yeah. And if yeah. you didn't, it's okay. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's, it's it, because I was telling Charlie the other day, 
that when you're dealing with this kind of stuff, people so often want hard. I just want to find they, peace. They want hard and fast, concrete answers to things, yeah. and it doesn't work that way in the world of energy. It just doesn't. Right. Um, sometimes you get hard and fast, concrete answers. Mm-hmm. The only thing I can tell you is that I really have felt like, for years, for a lot of years now, I have felt like that he he went wherever he was going to go. Yeah, he's not here. Right. He's not here. Right. For that's for sure. He's not here. And that's, that, that makes me happy, you know. And, just, you know, did knowing that he's got a you know easy laid good. Yeah, and did my fam did my family have you know anything to do with that? I don't know. I mean, he obviously was at my house. There's no question about that. He was there. Was the and you know my family were all like this. So you know, was the energy that was present there was that able to would that help him in any way maybe to make that that well, someone to recognize transition him? yeah maybe i don't know or maybe he found something else but either way he's not here anymore right. oh he's not stuck here let's put it right. that way he's not stuck here he has a yeah. choice at this point yeah. he has a choice yeah we walk to our cars give hugs and say our goodbyes I'm gonna so go. much Thank, thank you. you so much. Thank you so much. You've been big help. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. You are very welcome. And if there's anything I can do, I know I'm not supposed to hug you, but Charlie, I have been waiting to meet you for so long. It's and been, <laughs> it's been, yeah. Wait. And it's been such a strange journey. It has. I, and I don't think the journey is over. Oh, no. It's, no. it's nowhere. I don't think the journey is over. I'm going to throw these away real quick. Okay. Kevin and I climb into my little Volkswagen Jetta. I've got to drop him off at his house, and then I've got a long drive back home. Let's get you home, and then I'm gonna head home. How long you got to drive? How long you drive? Uh, from your house, yeah. six and a half hours. Six. Yep. Let's be home. Was it what you thought it would be? Yeah. Yeah. Actually, yeah. Uh, yeah. Honestly, I mean, yeah. I mean, um, I thought. I mean, I. I guess. I guess you know. My thought was, you know, actually, actually. Maybe something happened up here, you know, and mm-hmm. maybe, you know, like a reaction of something, you know, but, you know, long, you know, but if he's found, you know, peace and, you know, comfort, you know, I mean, that's awesome too. So, you know, I'm pleased either way, you know, but I still like to talk to him, you know. Drop Kevin back at his house, wish him well, and begin my drive back home to Chattanooga, Tennessee. Right now, I have a lot of things to think about, a lot of processing to do about the info shade just shared with Kevin and me. And with more than six hours ahead of me, I'll have plenty of time to do it. What Happened at Braley Pond is produced by me, Charlie Moss. The exceptional Bill Colrus is our story editor. Our music and sound design are by the legendary Mike Triplecock. Our website, which can be found at www.braleypondpodcast.com, was created by the outstanding Ashton Lance. Our podcast logo was designed by the phenomenal Shelton Brown. Additional artwork is by the incredibly patient Keith Finch. Special thanks to Monty Brock for his scientific insight and my wife, Vanessa, who was overwhelmingly supportive during this three-year process. Mm-hmm.